Peace and blessings. This is Muslims for Peace podcast. You have tuned into Muslims for Peace podcast. Please subscribe to our channel. Now let's have this very important discussion. Did the Prophet divorce any of his wives? Did the Prophet ever divorce any of his wives? Remember we talked about Hafsa previously and we said there are Sunni sources indicating that the Prophet divorced Hafsa then he went back to her. But what about other wives? Did the Prophet divorce them? What's going on? And how do we explain that? Now there is a story of a Prophet marrying a woman and then due to what she said he asked her to go back to her family, meaning he divorced her without consummating the marriage. Now the narrations are not clear on who this woman is. We have multiple names mentioned in our hadiths. Now some historians believe it's one woman, this story happened with her but we got multiple names for her due to confusion of later historians. Some historians believe this happened with multiple women where the Prophet wanted to marry, that woman would say something disturbing, the Prophet would divorce her before even consummating the marriage. So what are the names that have been mentioned in history books? I'll briefly go through that. So for instance, Al-Hakim al-Naysaburi, Sunni historian and scholar, in his book Al-Mustadrak, volume 4, page 35, he narrates a hadith from Aisha stating that the Prophet married her, her name was Al-Kilabiyya. So that's one name that we have in the books. Before I mention other names, what's the story? Here's the story, the Prophet did the engagement, meaning the Ketbik Tab as they call it, the marriage contract to marry a woman, this is in Medina. Aisha and Hafsa, they became jealous. What happened? They said, look, the Prophet is marrying women from outside tribes, like foreign tribes, women not from Mecca. And we're not comfortable with that because then they'll take more of his time and you know we're just not comfortable with that. So what did they do? Aisha and Hafsa went to that woman whom the Prophet was about to marry and they told him, do you want to be the Prophet's favorite wife? Look at the scheme they came up with. She said, yes of course. They're like, we'll teach you. When the Prophet comes to your tent, and now you've, you know, you're getting married and the Prophet comes, you, approaches you, sit next to you. Look at him and say, A'udhu Billahi Mink. I seek refuge in Allah from you. Alaykum assalam. If you say that, the Prophet will love you. She's like, okay. So the Prophet enters the tent, he's going to see his own wife. You know, he's about to embrace her you know, show her kindness, she said, stop, I need to say something. He said, what? She said, A'udhu Billahi Mink, I seek refuge in Allah from you. The Prophet said, now that you said that, go back to your family. He leaves with anger showing in his face, he leaves the tent and he basically divorces her. This is the main story, we'll explain how this is this, you know, why this happened. So the first thing that we have is Al-Kilabiyya according to this hadith by Aisha. 
Another hadith uh, by the companion Abi or Sayyid As-Sa'idi from his father. He says that the Prophet married a woman by the name of Asma bint numan al-Jawniya. She's the one whom, who said the following statement to the Prophet, I seek refuge in Allah from you and the Prophet let her, the Prophet let her go. So basically, this is what happened to her. So when the Prophet told her to go, this woman Asma, she would say, call me the Shaqiyah. Call me the wretched, the wretched, the, mis, the miserable one. I'm the one who had the honor of almost being the Prophet's wife and you know because of the stupid thing I said, he divorced me. So I am the wretched one, the wretched one. This is in Sunni hadith by the way. Another name that we have is Asma bint Nu'man al-Kindiyya. Now you have a different tribe that she's being attributed to. Not al-Kilabiyya but al-Kindiyya. And so this has been mentioned in the hadith, uh, Ahmad ibn Hanbal mentions this, Al-Hakim al-Nisaburi mentions this. Another name that we have is Amra bint al-Jawn, that this happened with her. Ibn Hajar, uh, he says no, the correct is that her name was Umayma bint al-Nu'man bint Sharahil. You notice a lot of names here, right? So there's confusion amongst historians who that woman is. We do know it happened to one of the wives of the Prophet, but it's not known who it is. Another name that we have is Fatima bint al-Dahak. That was the name of the wife of the Prophet, bint al-Dahak, that this happened with. And she, you know, basically would go and she would pick up the the dung of animals and she would say, I am the wretched one, I am the wretched one. By the way, there's another story about the Kindiyya. The Prophet married her and uh, her, her, she was the daughter of Abil Jawn al-Kindiyya. The Prophet married her, when Ibrahim the son of the Prophet died, she said, if you were really a Prophet, your son would not have died. So the Prophet was so disturbed by what she said, he divorced her and he told her go back to your uh, family and this is before the marriage was consummated, there was just a marriage contract. Now there's also another name for the woman who did this, who said if you were really a Prophet, your son would not have died, her name is Ashamba. Now this word Shamba comes in the hadith of Imam al-Sadr that one of the wives of the Prophet whom he did not consummate the marriage with is Ashamba. So these marriages were like completely... Right, the Prophet would do the marriage like the Katbi Kitab, but before he'd live with her, it, it, it ended, right. See now, it's a better understanding. Analyze it, thinking like he already has slept with them or what have you, you understand what I'm getting at? Right, so we have, so we have uh, you know, a number of uh, stories here. There's a third story about the Kilabiyya, that the reason why the Prophet divorced her is because when he went inside the tent and he saw her, she had leprosy, baras. And the Prophet wasn't told, he was told that she was you know, fine and healthy. And so uh, basically the Prophet said, you know, go back to your family and he divorced her. There are other reports which 
I personally feel they are doubtful reports. We'll go back and analyze these hadiths, but some doubtful reports. There's a hadith that the Prophet Mary wanted to marry Qatila bint Qais. Basically, this woman who said, I seek refuge in Allah from you, right? And the Prophet said, go back to your family. So Al-Ash'ath ibn Al-Qais, he came to the Prophet. He told him, Ya Rasulullah, it didn't work out with this lady because she said what she said. Marry my sister, Fatila or Qatila. Qatila bint Qais, uh, she's the sister of Al-Ash'ath ibn Qais. So why don't you marry my sister? So the Prophet said, okay, that's fine. So basically, um, Al-Ash'ath went to Hadramaut in Yemen to bring his sister. And on his way to Medina, the Prophet passed away. So basically, she did not have the honor of living with the Prophet. She was supposed to come and marry the Prophet, but she died. So he basically took her back uh, to her family. By the way, the family of, of, of Al-Ash'ath ibn al-Qais became apostates after the Prophet. They, they left the religion of Islam and they disbelieved. So, you know, family who didn't really have much belief. Yes. You mentioned before that when the Prophet would marry somebody, there was always a good reason behind it. I'll get to that. I'll, exactly, I'll get to that. Another disturbing report is that the Prophet married Malika bint Ka'ab. And she was known to be uh, very, very beautiful. So Aisha became very, very jealous. Now her father, Ka'ab, had been killed in one of the wars with the Muslims. So Aisha wanted this lady, Malika, to not marry the Prophet. So you know what she told her? She told her, Aren't you ashamed of marrying the one who killed your father? So she said, I seek refuge in Allah from the Prophet and the Prophet divorced her. Now the, her family came to the Prophet, they told him, Ya Rasulullah, She's young and she was deceived by Aisha, she didn't mean it. Take her back, the Prophet said no. I'm telling you just the reports, I have reason to doubt these reports. Then we have the super jealous Layla. Basically the, her name is Layla bint al-Khutaym or Khatim. Narrations indicate in our history books that one day the Prophet was standing and the sun is behind him, like he's giving his back to the sun. Suddenly Layla comes and she puts her hand on the chest of the Prophet, on the um, shoulders of the Prophet, on the back of the Prophet. So the Prophet see, he realizes a woman is like touching him like that. The Prophet says, how dare you? Who dares to touch me like that? She says, Ya Rasulullah, I am Layla and I'm interested in marrying you. Marry me. The Prophet says, okay, I'll marry you. So she says, okay, let me go and tell my family and let's make this official and we'll come back. The Prophet says, okay, I'll wait. She goes to her family, they tell him, Layla, you are a super jealous lady and the Prophet has other wives and maybe he'll even marry another wife after you. Do you really want to live like that? Because we know you're an overly jealous woman. Can you handle that kind of life? She thinks about it, she's like, nope, I can't handle it. So she comes back to the Prophet, she tells him, Ya Rasulullah, sorry, you know, I know I asked you to marry me, but I realize you have other wives and I'm a very 
uh, outspoken woman and basically, basically she told him, I have a bad mouth. So when I get super jealous, I'm going to say bad things. So let's just forget about this. The Prophet said, okay. <laughs> I'm just summarizing to you the story. <laughs> then we have the story, final story, I'll get to the observations now, of the lady who never got sick. So basically the Prophet married Amra. Now the marriage wasn't consummated. Now her father is so happy that the Prophet is marrying his daughter. Her father, his name uh, is, he's the father of Amra. So he came to the Prophet, he told him, Ya Rasulullah, let me tell you something special about my daughter. Never in her life she got sick. Like you're marrying a girl who's in such perfect health, never in her life she got sick. So the Prophet said, no. The person who never gets sick in his life, there's no goodness in that person. There's no goodness in that person. Take her back, I've divorced her. <laughs> so you see there are some reports here, disturbing reports. Let's talk about the first one and then these. That lady that Aisha fooled and she said to the Prophet, I seek refuge in Allah from you. How do we justify why the Prophet divorced her and told her go back to your family? Knowing that Aisha was behind the plot, right? So assuming that this you know happened because there are so many reports about it, how do we justify the Prophet's anger when he left the tent and he just quickly asked her to go back to her family? Remember this is before the consummation of the marriage. By the way, he gave her the full dowry. Told her take the dowry but I'm not going to live with you. How do we justify it? Because she was deceived by Aisha, you know. She may have been otherwise a decent person. Maybe he's respecting his other wife's uh, feelings. Well, she didn't say anything to the other wives. She just told him, I seek refuge in God from you. And of course, that's an insulting thing to say. But remember, Aisha fooled her. She told her, say that, you're going to become his favorite. Did you show a lack of intellectual iman? Maybe. Well, I mean, the, some other wives, I think... Uh, they would share her in the lack of intellect and iman. <laughs> Here's the analysis. The Prophet, by abruptly divorcing her like that, was actually demonstrating how angry he was at Aisha, not at this woman. And he's showing the community the deception of Aisha. Because when this happened, everybody talked about it. Oh, the Prophet was about to get married, he suddenly divorced that woman and he was seen angry leaving the tent. Well, why? Ah, oh, because Aisha taught her to say that, she said that, the Prophet got angry. The Prophet wanted to show Aisha's deceptive. And so yes, the Prophet had to make the sacrifice of divorcing this lady, but he had to make a point. He was commanded by Allah to show the community the real face of Aisha, that look, she's causing havoc in society. Now there are reports by the way that stated that this lady because the Prophet divorced her she got depressed and she would go and say I'm the wretched, I'm the wretched and she died in the state of depression. Now the Prophet wants to show that look at the deception of Aisha, she made a Muslim woman suffer like that and die from depression. 
or die in the state of depression. We don't say from depression, but in the state of depression as historians have narrated. So the Prophet is saying, look, these tactics that Aisha would do had significant consequences. They ruined people's lives, beware. That's not a woman you want to follow after me. So this is one analysis that the Prophet does sometimes something abrupt. Yeah, that lady became the victim, sure. But there was a higher purpose here. The Prophet needed to make a point that Aisha is causing trouble. Yes. What is the point that made clear that he just divorced Aisha? Well, there's a reason why he didn't divorce Aisha. Remember, the ties with her family and tribe, number two, to test, to test the Ummah. So there was a, an element of, uh, you know, testing the Ummah. Right, so there's a reason why the Prophet did not divorce Aisha. Remember, the, 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 the plan of Allah to test the Ummah was, you know, to have Abu Bakr come after the Prophet. Yes, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knew that he would come, but he gave Muslims that option, you know, to choose their fate. Had the Prophet divorced Aisha, it's very unlikely Abu Bakr would have been selected as the caliph. This would have affected the whole thing. But remember, Allah has a plan. He wants to try us. So he puts these elements of trial in our test. Yes. So um, I, I've noticed, uh, I'm not knowledgeable to back this up, but that's why I'm asking opportunity to ask you. I know uh, like Sunnis, have you, you know you've heard of Nu'man Ali Khan right? Nu'man Ali Khan yes. He gave a, a tafsirah of a, a surah in the Quran where he says that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala protects Aisha's reputation and that's Allah. I, we examined that, we examined that, that this verse was about Maria not Aisha. Okay. Yeah so we examined that in detail in two classes ago. Okay. When we spoke about uh, yeah, so it was it was not God defending Aisha's reputation; it was God defending Maria's reputation, according to the analysis that we presented. Okay, because yeah. it just seems like when, especially when Aisha, Omar, some like we're able to have that evidence, but when it comes to Aisha, it seems like you know, with all due respect to our brothers in Ahlul Sunnah, they have so much ground and basis. Defending Aisha and her status. I don't know how to get around that. Yeah, so we have to examine each one of them and see if there's merit to it. A lot of the hadith cited are from her, or they're not solid hadiths, or you know, they've attributed virtues to her that were for other wives of the Prophet. This Aisha was related to Abu Bakr. Daughter, daughter of Abu Bakr, yeah. Yeah, she's the daughter of Abu Bakr. So the, the, the justification is for the Prophet to show the deception. The second justification why the Prophet divorced her, now that she said what she said and it became public because remember Aisha had told her what to say, so it was known that she's going to say that to the Prophet. The Prophet didn't want to be seen desperate in marrying her. See, he has a noble goal. He's not marrying out of personal desire. So there's going to be talk about this incident, her saying that to the Prophet, it was no longer appropriate for the Prophet to pursue this marriage anymore. Even if it wasn't her fault and the wives of the Prophet fooled her, Aisha and Hafsa fooled her into saying that, but because she said it, it was no longer appropriate for the Prophet to pursue that marriage because had he pursued it, he would have been accused, oh he's desperate, look she's telling him I seek refuge in God from you yet he still wants her. You don't want that image for the Prophet, it's just inappropriate. 
because the Prophet had noble reasons behind these marriages. So when something like that gets in the way, it ruins that noble objective in the eyes of the people, so you just have to drop, drop the project, drop the case as they say. So uh, the Prophet, uh, you know, re his, the, the reasonable thing to do was just to walk away at this point because people knew about it, she said something inappropriate and the Prophet doesn't want to, you know, give the impression that I'm desperate, you know, you tell me you seek refuge in Allah from me, from me, like what am I, shaitan, because you seek refuge in Allah from shaitan, so for you to say that and people hear about it, that's not a good start, I don't want to seem desperate, so the Prophet said just go back to your family. So that's, you know, another uh, analysis here. Now regarding these reports about the Prophet, you know, with these other women that we, we, we find these reports to be doubtful because we have discussed in previous classes that we have clear evidence the Prophet's marriages were noble, so he had reasons why he would marry. So for anyone to come and suggest to him, hey there's a woman, marry her, yeah let me marry her, that quick, this is unlikely, you know, the Prophet had a reason, so some of these reports are exaggerations, they're fabrications, they're maybe to have a tribe look good, uh, so on and so forth, so we do find a number of these reports to be objectionable as they don't fit the character uh, of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wa What's our comment about that uh, hadith which states the Prophet um, divorced that lady who appeared to have leprosy, right? How do you justify that? See the Prophet is the role model, that family engaged in deception, if somebody comes to marry you and you have something serious like that, you need to tell them, like baras, leprosy, leprosy is serious, it's not something you can easily let go, because they hid that from the Prophet publicly, the Prophet had to take a stance that look, this is not tolerated, you can't fool families telling them that the person is perfectly fine, when the person has leprosy, you need to be open about it, let me know in advance. So the fact that you tried to deceive me, I have no choice as a leader to divorce her before the marriage gets consummated of course, meaning let her go, just end the engagement, to set a precedent in society that don't do this anymore. So the Prophet was discouraging families from engaging in this type of deception, so it's perfectly justified, assuming the report is correct, that they brought a, you know, the Prophet was supposed to marry a woman, when he went inside the tent to see her, he realized she has leprosy, and this was kept from the Prophet. So the Prophet had to make a stance that, look, this is not tolerated, don't do this to others. And by the way, according to Islamic law, if that happens to you, you don't even need a divorce, you can just walk away. Let's say you marry someone, and it turns out the person has leprosy. Um, or one of these you know serious conditions and you're not told about it, remember you want to live with this person for the rest of your life, so you can just walk out even without a divorce, it's called fesh, just nullifying the marriage. So the Prophet was teaching the families these lessons, don't do that deception anymore. So um, there was a noble reason why the Prophet just ended the engagement and he let her go, he was teaching society, be honest, don't do this anymore, it's not tolerated, because if the Prophet would have tolerated it, this would have encouraged families, well Rasulullah tolerated it, so let's do it, no you don't want that bad sunnah, if there is deception, it needs to stop. 
By the way, in, in, in deception at Tadlis of Nikah, scholars have a full chapter. What warrants deception, right? Let's say you marry a woman and it turns out she's bald and she was wearing a wig. Does that warrant, you know, um, separation if you wanted to separate and not marry her? So scholars have a discussion, discussion on that, yeah. Who are not, you know, society does not accept that. You're living with this person. If she's bald, she has no issue. She needs to tell you, look, I'm bald. But for her to surprise you after the marriage, Remember, we're talking about surprising you after marriage, of course, not before. If you know, you know. The idea is you did not know. Now you're going to live with this person for the rest of your life and she's bald. Well, not, not any man will accept that. So don't engage in deception like that. Deception applies to the men as well, right? Exactly, it applies to both sides, of course. Of course, deception applies to both sides, definitely. So these are some justifications. Now a summary, I'll read a hadith from Imam Sadiq that summarizes the names of the wives of the Prophet. He says the Prophet married 15 wives and 13 of them the marriage was consummated. Two without consummation, you know the Prophet just ended the engagement. As for those two which the Prophet ended their engagement, the Imam says their name was Amra and As-Sana or As-Shamba as we have mentioned her. As for the 13 that the Prophet married and consummated his marriage with, they were Khadija bint Khuwailid, Sauda bint Zam'a, Umm Salama, uh, Aisha, Hafsa, Zainab bint Khuzayma, Zainab bint Jahsh, Umm Habiba, Maymuna bint Al-Harith, Zainab bint Umais, Juwayriya bint al-Harith, Safiya bint Huyay, and also you have Maria and Rayhana al-Khandaqiyya. So, or Khandafiyya here according to this hadith. In any case, this hadith from Imam Sadiq states, the Prophet basically lived with 13 wives. And when he passed away, nine wives, you know, survived him. A few had died before that. Now one final point before we conclude about the fate and the status of the Prophet's wives. We have a hadith, you know, Bihar Safinat al-Bihar mentions this, Al-Manaqib by Shahar Ashub, it's a Shia hadith, Sunnis don't recognize this. You know the Quran gives the status to the wives of the Prophet that they are the mothers of the believers, right? Ummahat al-Mu'mineen, Umm al-Mu'mineen, wa azwajuhu ummahatuhum. There is a hadith that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa basically put the status and the fate of his wives after him in the hands of Imam Ali. He told him, oh Ali, any of my wives that disobeys me and she comes out to fight you, then remove her from the status of being Umm al-Mu'mineen. And basically I authorize you to like divorce her from me. Remember, we're not technically divorcing her, the Prophet passed away, but symbolically divorcing her from the status that she is no longer the mother of believers due to her disobedience of Allah's book where Allah says stay in your homes and coming to fight you, you're the Imam of the time. So any of the wives who do that, the Prophet told Imam Ali, I commission you and give you the authority to remove her from that status. So we do actually have a hadith uh, about this 
And of course Sunnis don't recognize the validity of this hadith because it's in Shia sources. But you know, a number of our scholars do believe that Imam Ali did that with a number of the Prophet's wives. He had the authority basically to sever their tie with the Prophet. And so they lost that status of being Ummahat al-Mu'mineen.